Well, Happy New Year's, and uh, just out of curiosity, how many of you stayed up uh, past midnight last night? Okay, those of you who didn't, what are you doing here at the uh, late service, right? Should have been here this morning. Uh, people the last few days have been asking me, hey, are you going to stay up uh, for, for New Year's Day and uh, see the ball drop? And I, I've been telling people, no, I don't plan on it. You know, I'm going to bed at 10. I'm just too old or something like that, right? Uh, well, what happened, New Year's uh, Eve, all of a sudden I remembered, oh man, our arch enemy is playing against Clemson in the Fiesta Bowl, and I got just consumed all evening watching Clemson just terrorize. I mean, wasn't that awesome? Oh my goodness, it made like my entire day yesterday, right? Um, and, um, uh, and, and after the game, I was like, oh, it was like 11, 11.30 or whatever. I'm like, uh, I, I just started doing some work. And I was like, maybe I, I guess I'll just stay up and watch the ball drop. I started doing some work. And the next thing you know, I look at the clock. Uh, I look up at the clock and it's 12.04. Oh, gosh, I missed it. But, but I stayed up. Um, and, and New Year's Day is one of those things where traditionally it's a day of fresh starts, Right where uh, you, you kind of forget the things that you wish you would have done last year or the things that you wish you didn't do last year. And uh, it, it's a time to throw away the regrets and really look forward to another year where you could do things differently. Uh, well, this past week, I came across a website, uh, secretregrets.com where people, thousands of people, posted uh, anonymously some of their biggest regrets in life, regrets that they had never told anybody else about. Let me just read a few of the comments uh, from, from this website about people's regrets. One person wrote, I regret friending you on Facebook because now I see your life without me every time you post a status update. I regret when you were a baby and I was 18 that my boyfriend was violent and I was too scared to stand up for you and they took you away. That was 20 years ago and I think about you every day. I regret the fact that we're $50,000 in debt outside of mortgage and cars. You hate your job so much and if we didn't have the debt, I could support you instead of you having to work. I regret that I never told you kids I love you when you were growing up. I regret for some reason I still can't say those words. I regret giving you my heart when all you wanted was my body. And so on and so on. The, the, the website just lists all these regrets. And I think most of us know what it's like to live with regrets, right? Moments that we wish we could take back. Moments that we wish we could do over again. And, and those regrets, if we live with them, can be really disabling and paralyzing to our souls. And the way we often respond to regrets is one of two ways. One way is simply just to do nothing about them and just really live in the past and obsess in the memory of all the, all the hurts and regrets that we've had. The other thing that we do in response to our regrets is that we make resolutions, and wouldn't you say that most resolutions are born from a sense of regret, right? I think even if you didn't make a New Year's resolution, right, we, we want to see things, uh, we want to be different in 2017. And so I resolve this time of year to be more patient. Well, why do you want to be more patient? Because I regret the times when I raised my voice in anger. Or I resolve to be more disciplined with my finances, 
Why do you want to be more disciplined with your finances? Because I regret how I handled my finances in 2016. Or I resolved to be more kind this year. Well, why do you want to be more kind? Because I regret how selfish and mean I was last year, especially to those who are closest to me. And so what we tend to do is that we tend to deal with our regrets with resolutions. And New Year's Day is a perfect time when a lot of us do that and prepare for that. We don't want to live with regrets, so we live with resolutions, or or we try to at least. And we resolve this time of year to do some things differently. Here's how I'm going to be different this year than last year. But you know what happens, right? You give it a couple weeks, And uh, for many of us, you have to admit that even the resolutions you've made this year uh, sound all too familiar because some of those resolutions are the very same resolutions you made last year, too. Not much has changed. And and for others of us, because of that, we kind of grow weary and cynical of New Year's resolutions. Oh, yeah, I've been there, done that. I'm I'm not going to lose weight. I'm not going to exercise regularly. I know that's not going to happen. What's the use you know, I know I'll stop going to the gym after two weeks. I'll blow, blow my diet. Um, and so you live with a sense of like jaded resignation. I don't know that either one of those uh, options are really what God really desires for us. Tonight we're going to look, uh, look into a passage in, in the book of Philippians chapter 3. And, and just a little context before we start reading this passage. Paul is writing to the church in, in a city called Philippi, where in this church, uh, a group of false teachers have infiltrated the church called Judaizers. And they were teaching that uh, Christianity is basically Jesus plus resolutions. Jesus plus uh, your good behavior or what you're going to do differently. And what Paul is going to say to them, is he's going to refute them and say, you know, that is, that is not, we, the resolutions is not the way to deal with our regrets. Um, and so Paul addresses these false teachers in the church with some pretty harsh words, and he, he begins Philippians chapter 3 by, by calling them names. He starts off by saying this. Uh, to the church in Philippi, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Because you see, these Judaizers were teaching that anybody who wasn't Jewish, you were, you were a Gentile in Bible terms, if you weren't Jewish, you had to be circumcised in accordance to Jewish law. Uh, and if not, that you, then you weren't, you weren't accepted by God. And so Paul, uh, in, in just righteous anger, says, look, they're dogs, they're evildoers, they're mutilators of the flesh, because you're adding on to what Jesus has already done for you. And Paul argues that these Judaizers have put all the emphasis on what a person does instead of what Jesus has done. And anytime this is your equation, Uh, you know you're in trouble. Anytime it's Jesus plus something you're going to do differently, Jesus plus your effort, uh, you know that you're missing the entire point of the gospel. And Paul recognizes that this church has really learned to put a lot of emphasis on their own determinations and their own resolutions. And and he's going to go on and he's going to give us an impressive list of all of his accomplishments and all of his resolutions that he's kept almost as a way to illustrate that you can't put confidence in things like your works and your, your abilities and your resolutions. 
He goes on in verse four to, to say this. For we put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I mean, this is an impressive list. I mean, he's saying, look, I was born into the right family. I was raised with all the right privileges. I went to all the right schools. I received all the right awards. I I, um, achieved all the right credentials. I was mentored by all the right people. And I did all the right things uh, for all the right reasons at the right time. And not just some of the time, but I was blameless. I did the right things all of the time. And this is really important because, you see, uh, they had all all these laws in the Old Testament, but on top of that, the Pharisees uh, created an additional 613 uh, laws that were to be kept by faithful Jews. Uh, all these kind, all these resolutions that had to be kept, and, and Paul, Paul basically says, "Yeah, uh, as to the uh, as to the law, I was blameless. Yep, I I, I did all of that. And there, that, I mean, six hundred thirteen laws is a lot of laws to, come, uh, to keep. And there were little things like this, like if uh, if a if a flea lands on you and it itches and it's on the Sabbath, you weren't allowed to scratch that itch." You just had to let that itch go, right? And that was all Jewish law. And Paul says, yep, I've kept that one. Another example was this, that if a chicken laid an egg, sounds like a joke, I know, but if a chicken laid an egg uh, and it was on the Sabbath, you could not eat the egg that the chicken laid if it was on the Sabbath. And Paul says, yep, I am blameless. I've kept all of these commands. I've kept all of these laws. I've been a good Jew. I've been a good uh, moral person. Now, this is the kind of faith that many of us have bought into, right? We just naturally begin to think this time of year, right, what it really means to be a Christian is that I'm going to deal with my regrets. I'm going to become a better person by pulling myself up by my own bootstraps, by making resolutions to be more patient, more disciplined, more generous, and more prayerful, We have a whole list of things that we are going to do and accomplish. All these resolutions in our own strength. And the emphasis is in what we will accomplish in 2017. And so Paul says, look, I've done that. Look at my list of accomplishments. Look at my resolutions kept. I've been down that path. And here's what he says about all of his resolutions and accomplishments in verse 7. He goes on to say, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The word rubbish here is actually, uh, it's, a, it's a more visceral word. It's a more raw word. It's really excrement, right? I count all of these things as excrement. This is what he thinks about all of his accomplishments and resolutions. He consi- considers it garbage. Why? And then he goes on to verse 9. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
And so he's saying, my sense of righteousness, who I am and who God wants me to be, it isn't a matter of my self-discipline or my determination. It is really a righteousness that comes from God through faith, faith in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on saying, I, I throw out all my accomplishments, all my resolutions. And then in verse 10, he makes one great resolve. And this is his great resolve. He says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul tells the church, look, this is the one great resolve that surpasses every other resolution, right? And, and Paul tells the church in Philippi, look, a lot of you are settling for a brand of Christianity that calls you to live a righteous life out of, a, uh, out of your own strength and your own determination. Right? He says, that's not where it's at. Now, that doesn't mean... Uh, that, uh, it's not that Paul isn't calling us to a holy life because all throughout scripture, through the New Testament, Paul is constantly calling us, uh, calling people to a holy life. But the call to holiness for Paul, uh, according to Jesus, the call to holiness is not simply a call to behavior modification, which is simply what New Year's resolutions a lot of times is, right? I'm gonna, beha- I'm gonna change my external behavior But Paul says, no, no, that is bankrupt. That that will lead to emptiness. Instead, he calls people to change, not through a spirit of determination, but through a greater dependence on the Holy Spirit to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. He calls people to change through a relationship with Jesus, not by following all these rules and regulations and, and resolutions, but instead he calls people to Jesus. And what many of us have tried year after year after year, only to find that at the end of each year, we we are frustrated and discouraged about ourselves, so much so that we don't even want to try anymore, right? Forget New Year's resolutions. It's just not, it doesn't work for me. Paul says, that's right, because that, that is a righteousness that comes from yourself. Instead, you need a righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ, So just imagine it this way. Uh, Maybe this illustration will help. Imagine that uh, next weekend, you have a bunch of errands to run. Right? Uh, on Saturday, you have to go to the grocery store because you have uh, family coming over and you have to cook a big meal for them. You need to go and, and get a new uh, vacuum cleaner at the hardware store because uh, y- yours broke. And uh, uh, then you need to go pick up some prescriptions at, at the local drugstore. Let's say you have to go uh, pick up, uh, I don't know, a, a new HDMI cable for your uh, for your uh, television. So you, n- you need to go to the electronics store. You need to go and, and go get an oil change. Now, what's that day going to be like if uh, trying to do all of those things? It's not going to be too fun. You're probably not going to get all of those things done going to all these different places. You'll be frustrated with all the people that are standing in the checkout lines, and you'll end up just being exhausted because you can't, you can't go to all these places to get all these things done that you're trying to do. But there is a solution, Right? Instead of going to all these different places, you just go to one place. Where, where would that place be? Walmart, Walmart? yeah. What, what did somebody else say? Meyer, yeah. 
<laughs> Amazon, that is true. Uh, well, you don't go there, right? And plus, even if you have prime shipping, it takes two days. And if you ordered it on Saturday, it wouldn't get there till Tuesday or something like that, right? You go to one place, right? Not only just uh, Walmart, but Super Walmart, right? <laughs> There's one right down the road here. Here, you could pick up all these things in one place. Shoot, I, I don't know if this one, Super Walmart has it, but a lot of them have like auto places too where you could get oil changes and rotate your tires and all, all, all these things in one place. And what we tend to do around this time of year, and yes, I'm about to compare Jesus to Walmart, <laughs> and I apologize that uh, ahead of time, But what we tend to do this time of year is that we come up with all these resolutions. And so I need to go here and get some patience. Oh, yeah, and you know what? I could use a little bit of self-control. And you know what? I'll pick up a little discipline, too, while I'm at it. And we come with this whole list of things that we want to do differently. And then we start getting frustrated and discouraged because we missed the mark and it's not happening the way we expected it to. And Paul is basically saying, look, uh, go, go to Jesus. Follow Jesus. And as you do that, what will happen, and you'll see, is that all these other things start to fall in place and just start to happen. You know, you follow Jesus, you pursue him, you embrace him. All of a sudden, you will find all these virtues that you wanted to uh, have and possess, all of a sudden kind of start growing in you. And so we could say this, start with Jesus and you'll you'll see real life transformation. But if you start with resolutions apart from Jesus, you're only gonna get temporary behavior modification. And so Paul says, look, go to Jesus. Go there to that one place. And as you pursue him, you see all these other things uh, come with him. Now, again, recognize he's not talking about just religion here, right? He's not just saying, well, that just means come to church once or twice a month or, or follow a few rules. That's not going to develop the kind of righteousness that God wants to see in you, right? But Paul is saying follow, following Jesus is more than just sin management and behavior modification. It's not just about, about being a better person, although that is a result of following Jesus, He's talking about, look, you need to follow Jesus, love Jesus, live in God's grace and experience his love. And when you do that, you will see you'll grow in character and in righteousness and holiness and you'll become the kind of person that God wants you to be. I I, I really love the way that uh, the message translation uh, paraphrase really uh, uh, reiterates the the passage that we read this evening. Uh, It says this. The very credentials these people are waving around is something special. I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. And why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master, firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I could embrace Christ and be embraced by him. I don't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. 
And so Paul is saying to us to look, don't settle for a petty, inferior brand of Christianity that comes from just trying to live up to some resolutions and trying to follow rules, but instead make one great resolve this year, and that is to know Christ and to experience his power in your life. And look, he says, you know, everything else I throw in the trash. So that means if you have your list of regrets, you have your list of resolutions, he just says, take that piece of paper, crumple it up and throw it in the trash and you resolve that this year you're gonna come to know Jesus and experience his power. Let me close with one last story of a, of a young man uh, named William Borden who lived in the late 1800s. He was born into the Wright family. In fact, he was an heir to the Borden Dairy Company. If you're familiar with that, right, Borden Milk. Uh, which is worth billions today, so he, he was an heir to that. As a high school graduation parent, uh, present, his parents sent him on a world uh, a tour around the world. So he spent time in Europe and Asia and the Middle East. Where, and, and during this time, he began to encounter all these people groups that had, n- had never heard the name of Jesus. Uh, And so it was during this time, he's 16 years old, that William Borden felt the call of God to be a missionary to some of these unreached people groups that that had no idea about Jesus. And so he, he declared that, he told his parents, he told his friends back at home. One friend expressed disbelief. Because his friend uh, really believed that William Borden was throwing his life away. Right? You're throwing yourself, you're throwing your life away as a missionary. You have so much going for you. Why would you want to do that? In response, William Borden wrote two words in the back of his Bible. Uh, In those two words, he just wrote, no reserves. In other words, I'm not going to hold anything back in my relationship with God and in following Jesus. I'm not going to go partway in. I'm going to go all in. There's not going to be any part of my life where I say, God, you can't touch this. This is mine because everything belongs to him. And at the end of each day, as I serve and worship and follow Jesus, right? I don't want any reserves left of me. I want to give God my everything. Well, after his worldwide tour, he uh, enrolled at Yale University, where he found that most of the student body didn't share the same passion for Christ as he did. So he started meeting with a friend in the early mornings before breakfast, just praying and, and to, to read scripture together, and, and that was it. Well, over time, more and more uh, fellow students start to join them, so much more that they had to start new groups, and, and by the time William graduated from Yale, uh, there were 1,000 students out of Yale's 1,300 students that were meeting in such groups, right? It was like a whole movement of prayer and scripture that that God used William at at Yale University back at the time. And not only that, but uh, uh, William, while he was still in college, started an outreach ministry to care for orphans and widows, and he started a mission called uh, Yale Hope Mission that helped rehabilitate alcoholics and drug addicts, fed the homeless, and shared Christ with all of them. Well, while he was in school, his father died. And all of a sudden, William inherited a significant amount of of the family inheritance, right? The fortune was his. And there was all of a sudden a lot of pressure for him to go back after school to help run the family business. 
And so he had to make a tough decision. Do, do I go with the, the, the calling that God, uh, uh, like, that I felt God was calling me to, which was to be a missionary, or do I go home and help my, help my family run this, the business? It was soon after the, uh, that whole incident that uh, he came to the conclusion that uh, he, he had to be about his heavenly father's business and, and not just pursue wealth and pleasure and amusement, in, in his words. And, uh, and after he, result, after he made, came to that conclusion, he wrote two more words in the back of his Bible. And those two words were, no retreats. In other words, I'm not turning back. I've made my decision. I am going to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Well, that eventually led William Borden to Princeton Seminary where upon graduation, he set sail for China where he wanted to do his missionary work. And because he was hoping to work with Muslims in China, he stopped first in Egypt to study the Arabic language. Well, it was in Egypt where he contracted spinal meningitis and he died one month later at the age of 25. And he was buried in Cairo. I mean, the news spread all around the world about his death, and many said, oh man, that just such a tragedy. He wasted his life. He blew that decision. He gave up his family fortune. He gave up his future career to follow God's calling to be a missionary. And look, he didn't even make it to the missionary field that, he, that God called him to. What a waste. But I don't know that that's how William Borden would have really felt he wrote one last phrase in his Bible just prior to his death. Underneath the words, no reserves, no retreats, he had written, no regrets. He was, he was gonna give God his all. He was not gonna retreat from his commitment to Jesus. And even, even if his life was wasted in the eyes of the world, he had no regrets in all of this. He gave his life to the one person who gave up his life on the cross so that you and I could have eternal life with God. And so because of that, he, his life was such an inspiration to hundreds and thousands of people, other people who went out as missionaries because of the testimony of William Borden. And so this is my challenge, my encouragement to you tonight. As we start off the new year, toss out your resolutions and your regrets and live with this one great resolve this year. And just see how it works for you in 2017. Decide that you are going to follow Jesus with no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets. Make it your prayer that more than anything else, you want to know Jesus and the power, uh, and you want to experience his power. Make that your one resolve to depend on him and see what happens in 2017. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes and pray with me? And so, Jesus, we come tonight throwing away our good intentions, throwing away our human efforts, and we come humbly wanting to embrace you and to be embraced by you tonight. And so that is the desire of our hearts, to know you 
and to experience your power in our lives. May that be the one great resolve for us this year, that we would follow you with no reserves and no retreats and no regrets, and that we would give ourselves wholeheartedly to your glory and to your kingdom. And so God, as we come tonight to worship together, to sing praises to your name, that is our desire, to give ourselves wholeheartedly to you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.